Summer is the perfect time to go camping or even just step under the sky to gaze out to the stars. When we consider the heavens God has made, we do feel very small, yet also creative and challenged. So many stories take us beyond Earth's orbit, only to reflect real-world realities and send us right back to our homeworld, better equipped to face these problems. B.L. Dean, author of the Shades of Starlight Space Adventure series, joins us on the bridge for today's Fantastical Truth. Welcome aboard the Starship Fantastical Truth. This is the podcast from lorehaven.com that explores fantastical stories for Christ's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the acting captain on the bridge and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent and publisher of Lorehaven. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I prefer to travel at Warp 11. And this is episode 165, How Does Science Fiction Help Us Escape Real-World Gravity? And we are joined today by globetrotter and space traveler B.L. Dean, also known as Becky. This is going to be a fun episode where we talk all things sci-fi. We'll energize our transporters or convey your other science fiction travel device in just a moment. But I noticed, Zach, that right out of the Stargate there, you took a side in the Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. You mentioned warp 11. It's not just plain old (laughs) light speed. So this goes to 11. Absolutely based. I appreciate that because right now, although I do have plenty of appreciation for Star Wars and other uh, space fantasy franchises, uh, these days I'm definitely taking a side on the side of Star Trek. As uh, faithful listeners of the podcast know, Zach and I are increasingly favor sci-fi, at least as far as our own creative pursuits. We love fantasy too. We don't need to leave anybody out, but fantasy is coming up actually in our next uh, sponsor, top sponsor for this episode, returning champion Enclave Publishing with Estuary, the first book in the new Oceans of Time series by Lisa T. Berggren. It's coming out this June 13th, along with another book we'll talk about in just a moment. Can a family bond stand the test of time? History major Luciana Bettarini takes a summer job alongside her twin, Domenico, as a period actor at Castello Forelli in Italy. As incoming college seniors, this might be their last chance to spend meaningful time together, so she's soaking up every minute. But when Nico's theory that their lost Bedarini relatives have traveled through time becomes potentially real and they might be able to follow, Lucci fears they'll be forever divided. Return to the world first explored in Lisa T. Bergeron's best-selling Rivers of Time series in Estuary, book one in the Oceans of Time series, available June 13, wherever fantastic books are sold. Pre-order now online or from your favorite bookseller. It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio. All the links for this and other sponsors in the show notes for 165 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. From there, I hear the telltale sounds as well as this a wonderful soundtrack recently tributed in Star Trek Picard as our guest is arriving from the future on a stolen Klingon bird of prey. It's just performed a forbidden slingshot maneuver around the sun. B.L. Dean, or Becky Dean, is a fan of adventures both real and fictional. She grew up on a diet of Star Trek, Star Wars, and stargazing, so when she started writing books, it was no surprise that many of them were set in space. When she's not writing, she can be found traveling, drinking tea, watching science fiction shows, or quoting The Lord of the Rings. She's the author of two contemporary novels for young adults and a four-book space opera series, Shades of Starlight. Becky, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Good to see you, Becky. You know, I just thought about you growing up with a lot of this stuff. Did you ever see the movie Space Camp? It's not ringing a bell. It's possible. 
It's where the kids uh, go to like a NASA summer camp or whatever, and they actually end up going to space. And it was like the biggest wish fulfillment film ever as a kid. And similar There's to someone... the last Starfighter. At, if, I don't know if you I did see that. that yeah. One. Yeah. So same kind of thing. It's like, weren't we promised this? Shouldn't we actually be in space by now? <laughs> Why are we here on Earth? Hey, right now the grown-ups can barely get to space. Uh, certainly not aboard a government space shuttle. Remember the space shuttle? Remember them when that was a thing? Uh, Zach, was that the movie where the kid falls asleep and gets uh, accidentally uh, yes. taken aboard yes. the space shuttle? Okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. was that the trope starter or just the trope continuer? I'm aware of the trope, mm-hmm. but I didn't know where that was from. Did, also, did the movie have Nicolas Cage in a romantic leading man role? Or is that <laughs> no. another? Okay, okay. I, I thought one. it was another Zach that movie. That Con Air you're thinking of, that's... That's just about airplanes. I know. Well, I kind of want to blend now (laughs) Con Air and Space Camp. So anyway, speaking of all these secular things, uh, Becky, we always like to ask a new guest to the studio, and you're required by evangelical law to say it was Narnia, of course, in answer to the question, how did you discover biblical faith and fantastic imagination? Yeah. Can I actually say that it probably for me was more of the space trilogy than Narnia? That's oh, allowed. Very, it's, still, oh, nice. it's still C.S. Lewis. So we got a first here on that the is podcast. Allowed. It's a okay. technicality. Well, I was Steve Steve Smith with Oasis Audio. He got in, in a technicality too, because it wasn't reading Narnia, but playing Aslan in a theatrical production oh, right. that oh, helped nice. as part of his process. So yes, the Ransom or Cosmic <laughs> Trilogy or Space Trilogy, if you have to call it that. Uh, certainly an acceptable answer. How, how did how did that work for you, though? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll back up a little. So I, like a lot of your guests, probably did grow up in a Christian home and um, Christian parents were at church, you know, every Sunday, every Sunday night, Wednesday evenings, all of that good stuff. And I love how God kind of works on things in us and then uses them in us also. So I am a super overachiever, high score grades and all of that kind of thing. And so for many years, faith was I believed there was never a time when I didn't believe there was a God and I didn't accept the fact that I was a sinner in need of a savior. Um, But for a lot of years, it was more the head knowledge than a heart knowledge. And so I had all of the right answers in Sunday school. I prided myself when they needed somebody to volunteer. I did it. Um, My mom did, you know, youth drama things at the church. So I, even though hated acting, I still acted in all of those (laughs) things at the church and kind of knew all the right answers, even could talk to my friends about my faith and answer questions about Christianity. Um, But it took until I was about 14, um, actually the the week right before I started high school at a youth group camping trip. And they shared the gospel. I still just firmly remember we were sitting around the campfire. It was dark. And they were talking about following Jesus and what that really meant. And not just being a sinner in need of a savior, but making Jesus the Lord of your life and following him and giving him control of everything. And they ask, you know, if you wanted this, raise your hand. And I remember I couldn't even stop my hand from going up if I had wanted to. Mm. And then that pride part of me that said, oh, you already know all of the answers. You're fine. You know all of this. Um, tried to <laughs> jump in there, you know, and and argue. But I just knew that I had to make him the true Lord of my life. And that the all the book knowledge was great um, to defend your faith, but that to truly be a follower of Jesus, I needed to give up that control and make him my boss. And, you know, that's the the word I use a lot and just follow his leading and everything. And so whether I was saved before or not, I don't know, but that's the moment onward where I really felt him at work in my life in a lot of ways. And kind of like I said, the way he uses your strengths, but also works on them in you. So for me, it was the pride of knowing a lot of things, but then God really used that to grow my faith after that. And so reading lots, um, I had a friend in high school, her, her dad taught apologetics to high school students. And so I just really soaked that up, being able to defend the faith and have well-reasoned and logical arguments for why we believe what we believe. 
um, and knowing that it's not a blind faith, that God asks us to trust him and we put all of our faith in Jesus, but he doesn't fail to give us logic and well-reasoned arguments for why this is a valid thing to believe as well. Um, and then through all of that, I was just a huge reader as a kid. So literally anything I could find. Um, and C.S. Lewis in high school was a big thing that I really turned to. So I had grown up reading Narnia, Lord of the Rings, all of that, but found Mere Christianity, found the Screwtape Letters, found one of my absolute favorites, which is actually The Great Divorce, um, which is a fascinating sort of allegory that a lot of people haven't read. And then whatever you would like to call it, the space trilogy, if you don't like that term. Um, but I like for me, that term. <laughs> I just get snarky about it because <laughs> Lewis disclaimed use of the word space in the trilogy because space implies a void. Whereas True. in his world building, space is this vibrant place that is filled uh, with the glory of God. Uh, and so it, the word That's itself it can can kind of deny a concept of the book. So, but I, I really, really try very hard not to do that. <laughs> that I is fail, fair. Though. So especially for me, the second book, Paralandra, I just loved the allegory of, and if people haven't read it, it sort of looks at Venus, the planet, as a pre-fall Eden. And so it was just, for me, a really fascinating look into using space and other planets and other places as reflections of Christianity and through all of high school too, because I'd already, because I was reading so far advanced, I'd already read all of the kids' books there were to read pretty much, um, turned to a lot of Christian romance, which wasn't necessarily my favorite, but my mom knew that they were clean and I could go to the library and check out a stack of them and there wouldn't be objectionable content. I think it was just a whole lot of reading every genre I could find, reading a lot of Christian books, reading C.S. Lewis, and just seeing how creativity can be reflected in so many different ways in Christianity, that it doesn't have to look like one thing, that our God is big and creative and works in ways we can't even imagine. And so why can't books, stories, movies, anything have that breadth of creativity and still reflect truths about him, whether they're outright Christian or not? Yeah. Well, and that's a big theme that we talk about in this podcast, that there's um, there's no right way to do yeah. a Christian novel, that what a Christian novel is can, can mean a, several different things. It can be a story that's about Christianity for Christians it can be a story for all kinds of people that's just written by a Christian. It can be anything in between, more allegorical, more just thematic. So we we definitely kind of go the whole length and breadth of that on this show. But I, I want to go back to your testimony that you really came to faith in, in a at least in a really clear and understandable way when you were on a camping trip. And the neat thing about that is that you know you're out there in nature, and I imagine you're among the trees and mountains, rivers, whatever you're, you're camping. And so that's kind of the fantasy element, right? And then, you know, you go to sleep at night, there's not the city lights all around you. So you're actually seeing the stars, which are becoming increasingly harder to see. In fact, side note, I have a couple of friends that live in uh, what they call like dark sky neighborhoods where there's yeah. no street lights and even like your porch lights like have to be shaded or something so that people can still look up and, and see the stars. But that's a big part of my testimony as well. It, that Kind of more of that sci-fi element. <laughs> I, I was at a Young Life camp when I was in the middle of high school called Frontier Ranch and was really confronted one of the sessions that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And I did not like that because I thought, I, I'm like you, Becky. I was the good kid. I was the overachiever, the straight A student. Didn't get in trouble. Didn't, you know, do all those things that everyone did, but it hit me that I was doing that for my own glory and, and to get God to do things for me or just to leave me alone, but not to really glorify him. And when I 
went out at night just to look at the stars. I was just by myself for an hour. That's when it really hit me that how much more holy God is just by looking at the stars, you know, and that's, that's why I've always loved Psalm eight. Like when I look at the moon, the the sun, the moon and the stars that you've made, you know, what is man that you're mindful of us. So I, I love that you've got a similar element there, just being among God's creation. And that's, what's given you this passion for writing stories about going to other planets and, and other star systems, which we're going to talk about here. Just a few months ago, got to visit family in Arizona and went to the Grand Canyon. And I had been as a kid, but not recently. And um, obviously it's a you know wonderful creation and it's beautiful, but we stayed after dark and went out onto one of the points where you can oh, see wow. the stars. And it was that was probably my favorite part of the whole experience there was that night and just how brilliant the sky is when you're out in the middle of nowhere and the Milky Way and shooting stars and just the vast multitude of the galaxy. You know, the skies declare the work of his hands. So yeah, author Randy Alcorn talks often about seeing the stars through a telescope for the first time, uh, being part of his testimony as well. I think there's a lot of us that grew up thinking we were either the good kid and or the good Christian kid. Uh, and it's both confronting this boundless, infinite glory, uh, as well as the the limits of God's law that should convict us that I think helps us, I, I think, I'm just reminded to be kind to that legalistic uh, Christian kid uh, that you know, uh, that person's still on a journey. Uh, he may have this uh, this you know, devil on his shoulder that's dressed up like a Pharisee that he's listening to a bit too much. You got to hit him, though, with the gospel. got to hit him with the law, uh, kindly, but firmly, uh, so that we can then be led not to more rules, but to Christ. And Christ, of course, leads us to fantastical stories by the way, Zach, I think we need to get this C.S. Lewis guy on the show. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> speak very highly about him. Yeah, I, I think he, he seems to have uh, been written some uh, some really really great books. So let's see if we can uh, contact his agent. Oh wait, there's that whole biblical prohibition on necromancy, which is still a law that we need to follow <laughs> even under grace. Uh, so speaking of following laws, um, Becky, you've written this uh, Shades of Starlight series, uh, a four volume uh, space adventure novel. Book four uh, actually comes out in just a week from this episode on June the 13th as well. It's called Final Break. I, I'm curious then how your enjoyment of space and stars and science fiction in real life uh, led you to write this series uh, that is set in, this, in the frontier of space. And just what do we love about science fiction uh, for giving us these new and impossible frontiers to explore? Yeah, I have just always loved science fiction. And I've also always loved travel geography the thought of other places and so growing up my dad was a big fan of maps and um have just always been interested in other cultures and other countries and going places and just extending to space um like you read in my bio i grew up watching star trek and star wars and um my parents we'd watch star trek the next generation was out when i was a kid and so we'd watch all of those episodes when they came on the movies um and just the actually the first somebody asked me i think about the first recently about the first, you know, big news story that you remember as a kid making an impact on you. And for some, you know, whatever that might be. And for me, it was actually the Challenger explosion. So just always yes. being fascinated with NASA and the people going to outer space. And so I think it's just, and my dad loved, loved astronomy. And so we'd go out in the yard and you could sort of, I grew up in Cal Southern California, but enough outside the city that there were a few stars you could see. And so we'd lay out in the yard and look at the sky. And I think that wonder, right, of what's out there and the vastness of not only our planet, but the galaxy and thinking about the fact that God made all of that and always pondering sort of why he made all of that when we're probably never going to go to any of those places. 
um, but just really to prove how big he is and how great he is and to reflect his glory yeah. in the heavens and creation and to make us realize that there's so much more out there than what we see right in front of us. And so for me, sort of the impossible frontiers is I love, I, I love travel. I love going places, especially in nature um, here on earth, but also just the wonder of what might be out there in space too. That's such a great thought. Are we ever going to go to any <laughs> other planets? I mean, realistically, right? Like I'm a, I'm a very hopeful guy. I mean, I hope I, so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I see what, you know, SpaceX and, and others are doing and I'm like, you know, maybe we'll go visit, but man, I just saw this headline the other day and sorry, Stephen, in particular for this one, but it said, uh, we cannot live on Mars for more than four years. It will kill us oh. uh, because I guess the radiation <laughs> is stronger because there's no atmosphere. Yeah. So I, I read stuff like that. I'm like, dang it. Like I was really hoping to go there, but uh, you know, but yeah, we, we can go to these books, right? We can go to these movies and TV shows and we can at least imagine we can go there in our minds because you're right. Why did God make all of these other stars and planets? Like it just, it boggles the mind. And, and the more of these that we can see through telescopes or through infrarometry, whatever, like where we can point a bunch of different telescopes at something and we can sort of get a picture of it. Like they saw the, uh, the black hole with, um, and even just seeing the, the dips in the starlight of planets passing in front of other stars, like it, we can only barely get a glimpse even of them. Why is it there? Well, you know, my thought is just that God wants us to be overwhelmed, that it, it's sort of a picture of the infinite and in, in, in the vastness of who he is, that there's, there's no end to it. Um, you know, it, in a very similar way, there's all this stuff under the ocean that we're just now seeing for the first time. I was thinking about that because I loved growing up the show Sequest, which was basically oh, Star, yes. Star Trek, but underwater. And so that totally makes it, I was thinking the same thing as you were talking, because I loved that show. And we're like you said, we're just sort of now discovering all of those things. And so it gives me hope that maybe like all of that was there since human history, but they had no idea what lay under the surface. And so it gives me hope that maybe one day we'll find out a little bit more about what's in space, too, if. <laughs> Jesus tarries that long. <laughs> yeah, but part of me, the, I suppose the realistic part of me thinks that we're not going to do a whole lot of actually feasible space travel until after Christ returns and remakes planet Earth and the universe uh, to be under his reign. But the sci-fi part of me and the other realistic <laughs> part thinks that if it's there, people will want to go for notoriety, to get valuable minerals, to have adventures, whatever. You may have to bring your oxygen and basically everything else with <laughs> you, but eventually if someone does it enough, then you could get a base on Mars, you develop a particular kind of radiation shielding. Uh, there's this impulse that humans have in their fiction as well as reality to not just sit on Earth and look at the stars through telescopes, but to actually go there. And until we can actually go there, we make science fiction uh, that goes there. You get Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, sending John Carter there, sort of astral projecting to Mars. Uh, and then lots of other characters going to, you know, galaxies far, far away, uh, not just uh, not just our home galaxy. What is it then? Not just about uh, space itself, but science fiction, uh, you think, that appeals to you so much, uh, Becky? The travel impulse, uh, we'll get to the adventures in a moment, but why does sci-fi have a unique appeal to you? Yeah, I really do love fantasy also. Like you mentioned, I, I read probably equally both of them. But just when I sat down to write, I guess it was all of the shows I grew up watching. Um, trying to write fantasy just never seemed to go well. And just I kept adding spaceships. And <laughs> I can't remember who said the quote, but it's like fantasy takes the impossible but makes it seem probable. But science fiction takes the possible and makes it seem probable. And so it takes things that we 
like you said, it probably won't happen that we get to colonize other planets, but it might. It's, you know, there's the possibility is there more so than most fantasy stories. And so I think it's that hope that, and then maybe that, I don't know, it's, there's that hope that human ingenuity that God has given us might lead us to these final frontiers, these new places, these new discoveries that are actually maybe possibly possible. I was always intrigued by some of the older science fiction that seemed to explain a whole lot of things, technology, human culture, the alien biology, all of those things. Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Mars trilogy, for example. I, I don't remember whether there are aliens in that. I don't think there are. Uh, he certainly liked to explain uh, some of the romantic relationships <laughs> that people were getting into on the way there on their giant, expensive spaceship. The one thing I don't remember him ever explaining was profit motive. Uh, why are people going to Mars and building these giant colonies and this giant space elevator that then collapses when people decide to rebel and then he's got it calculated where exactly how it wraps all the way around the planet and just what damage it does to the crust. Be Becky, do you, th you called your uh, uh, Shades of Starlight. You said that's more space opera. Would you classify that as harder or softer sci-fi or somewhere in between? Definitely softer, yeah. I like some of the hard sci-fi, um, The Martian, where it takes these very complex scientific things and makes them understandable to ev to everyone. I kind of, if people ask about what space opera is, it's sort of fantasy in space, right? So it doesn't go hard into a lot of the science of things, but it pulls a lot of the elements that you would see in a fantasy book, the quests, the new places, the often a group of people kind of thrown together on this journey, that sort of thing. So mine is definitely on the softer side. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of science fiction I grew up with as well. And what really got me into the genre, it it wasn't just uh, Star Wars. It was movies like Stargate, uh, which I didn't really discover the TV series till much later. But that similar thing that, that it's basically here's a magical door to take you to a spaceship or another planet or, um, you know, and, and find out that the pyramids were really put there by the aliens. <laughs> and of course, that's great because it's conspiracy theories and whatnot. <laughs> But yeah, the, the harder science fiction, I, I didn't really get into that as much of an adult until I was an adult and I enjoyed it. But I, I think it is these, you know, exploring kind of new places that was always so exciting to me. And, and yes, I, I grew up on Star Trek. It wasn't, it wasn't just a late in life thing because I'm sick of Star Wars now. But I thought of that other movie, Stephen, uh, that you mentioned at the beginning, it's Flight of the Navigator, where, yes. where he falls asleep in the spaceship and then it goes back in time or something. and. So again, just that wish fulfillment, like what if I, you know, as a kid, what if I could have a spaceship and my own like robot uh, to help me go around? So, and I actually uh, made a list one time of all the Star Trek episodes with kids in them. And I've, I've shown those to my kids because I'm <laughs> like, it's just great to grow up with that and, you know, think about where we could go one day. I was reading recently that this is a book by Isaac Asimov. It's a nonfiction book where he's kind of, all his collected essays about science fiction and he talks about the influence of uh jules verne and hg wells kind of on the original kind of wave of science fiction and how jules verne the the submarine that they take underwater the nautilus how there have been multiple real world submarines you know named the nautilus like after that in in homage to that and that's kind of the interesting thing to me is that science fiction can come true and then like inspire more science fiction. It's sort of this like feedback loop or this kind of recursive algorithm that it, it's like self propagating. Well, and, and so, how many inventions have come about that, you know, came from Star Trek, especially the original series, some of those things that they used that are now everyday 
Yeah, we right. arguably have digital music because of the next generation in which data is shown just switching seamlessly between basically MP3s uh, in his in-room uh, in-room stereo. The original Napster. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so many technology. But there was at least one space shuttle, uh, at least a prototype uh, called the Enterprise. And yeah, I think it was actually the first nuclear powered submarine, uh, if I recall rightly. Fact check me if I don't. It was called the Nautilus. Yep. Uh, real quick about the uh, the idea of the uh, the magic door you mentioned, Zach. It reminds me of a series two Doctor Who episode quote in two thousand six, where they discover uh, basically a portal type device, and the Doctor says, "Must be a spatio-temporal hyperlink." And Mickey Smith said, "What's that?" The tenth Doctor says, "No idea. I just made it up. Didn't want to say magic door." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's pause for our second sponsor. Speaking of magic doors, making worlds, making stories, uh, you've got to have training in order to do that. And one of the organizations that can help you train if you're an aspiring writer of science fiction or other fantastical stories is the Author Conservatory. Are you a Christian student who loves writing but thinks it could never go anywhere because you've been told that writers can't make any money? Well, you've been told wrong. The Author Conservatory provides an alternative to the starving artist by training students to become entrepreneurs and writers at the same time. This three-year college alternative program offers personal coaching from industry professionals like Kara Swanson, Steve Lobby, S.D. Grimm, and Katie Phillips, along with mentorship from successful entrepreneurs so you can own your writing craft and create a realistic business plan. To learn more and apply for a free consultation, simply visit authorconservatory.com. Becky, we all love science fiction here. I'm going to ask in a moment whether you saw Picard season three. But our second question is mainly about how space adventures train us, like the Author Conservatory trains new writers, trains us for purposeful living. Uh, Zach, you you wrote that question there. I'm curious uh, what you meant about that uh, purposeful living based on a space adventure. Uh, What's that about? So you think about in Star Trek, they've got all the different uniforms that are color coded to the different functions of the ship that they are responsible for. And I think that's a good analogy to what Paul talks about in first Corinthians 12, that there's one body, but many parts and they all work together. Um, You know, the Christian life is not meant to be lived completely independently of others. It's meant to be lived in community. And you also think about how they always get in these, you know, disaster situations, the, the red alert situations, and they have to have critical thinking skills under pressure. So that's a great life lesson there. And then just persevering, you know, through those terrible situations. Um, probably my favorite quote in this, and a lot of people thought this was cheesy. I thought it was a wonderful quote in Interstellar where Coop is trying to dock the spaceship with the other thing. And uh, the other character says, it's impossible. And he goes, no, it's necessary. I don't know. That, that's just such a great line. Like that moment was amazing. And of course, the organ music from Hans Zimmer makes it even more exciting. But I I think about all those lessons that these characters go through these insane situations. It's like, okay, my life is a lot easier in comparison, but I can apply a lot of those same types of um, the the tools that they have to employ, just those mental skills. Like those are definitely things we can use today. So what, so what are some lessons like that, that you guys, that you Becky have uh, gleaned from stories, movies, TV shows, where you see them in these situations and you think, oh, I want to live like that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's great about 
fantasy and science fiction, but science fiction seems to amp it up a lot because of the inherent danger of space, right? So not only are you possibly facing an opposing army or an evil dictator or life and death situations, but you're doing it in a tin can in the middle of a vacuum. (laughs) So, you know, anything goes wrong and you're a long way from help and there's no oxygen outside. And like we talked about with space travel in our own galaxy, having to take things with you, everything from water to food to sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no options for that sort of thing. And so it just sort of forces you to be in that constant survival, like how am I going to survive mode? Yeah, I think one of the things that I love about Star Trek, especially, is the optimistic view that they had of the future. And so whether it was entirely realistic or not, these this sort of utopian society that doesn't even have money, that kind of thing. Um, but just the idea that humans could come together and then other cultures, other races, other planets could come together to explore the galaxy, peaceful exploration, working together. Not that they never had conflicts, but that a lot of it was just, I mean, what was the Enterprise's new mission was just to seek out new worlds, like just to find out what's out there. And it might not be like Stephen mentioned, the the most realistic, because there is still that profit vision that how, why are we really doing this? How do we fund it? What's in it for us sort of thing. But that idea that maybe we could come together one day just for the sake of seeing what's out there and facing challenges together, as opposed to always fighting. And I think there are a lot of great, I really loved the Expanse show. um, And that obviously is a lot less at at the beginning, especially of people getting along. Um, (laughs) So kind of the, the, the contrast to Star Trek where it's all of the different places that are working together. And in that one, it's, you know, all the warring factions. And so it sort of just forces you to look at, and so in my own books, I use a lot of sort of real world politics to sort of put them in space. So um, I actually studied politics some in college. And so using some of the things I learned about what takes place here on earth among colonizers or among colonies or among various countries or resources and how you fight over the necessary resources and how to sort of transplant that to space and then throw people into that and see what they what they would do. Especially when, like we said, you add that element of the danger because it's not just hopping on to the next county or the next state or even the next continent. It's traveling through those vast distances. Yeah. And I think there is even something really good about that, that in in science fiction, you're always reminded of how close to death they are. There's another quote in Interstellar or another moment. I can't remember the exact quote where one character kind of puts his hand on the bulkhead of their spaceship and he's like, there's only three centimeters between me and vacuum, you know? And the other guy's like, I don't want to think about that. Like, stop (laughs) dwelling on that. But I I think that's also that impulse that we often feel. We really don't want to think about death. In in Western society, that is not something that we uh, want to dwell on. We, uh, especially compared to a lot of other cultures where uh, death is a thing they're faced with often, but it's something that they are a lot more open about in different cultural traditions. And so in science fiction, you're always kind of on that edge of, man, how do these people not have like total PTSD, right? I, just the red alert, like getting woken up by that like enough <laughs> times, I think that would kind of dramatize you. But I, I think it does kind of bring our lives into perspective. There's that uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 90, where Moses says, teach us Lord to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I remember reading that back when I was in college, you know, when you're, when you're 20 years old, you're invincible. Like you think you're going to live forever. Nothing can stop you. And I remember my Bible study leader, uh, quoting that verse to us and saying, look, you need to think about your death <laughs> because 
you have a limited number of days, even as young as you are, you have to think about where your life's going to end and how you want that to end uh, so that you'll live each day with, with purpose, with, with a godly purpose. So Stephen, what are, what are some other kind of themes and lessons that you have taken from science fiction that helped you in the real world? Well, Becky mentioned politics a moment ago, uh, which reminds me of the fandom that I've seen, uh, and you're one of them, Zach, uh, for the Star Wars series Andor. want to give Star Wars some love here. I've not seen the series itself, but one thing I've heard that people praise about it is this attention to the detail of the politics of the Star Wars world. So I think when people now hear politics, they think about parties and platforms and things we don't talk about much on Fantastical Truth. But politics is just the human business of figuring out what the rules are. And that is a human impulse that we're always going to have. I think even after Christ returns, he'll just be the, uh, the, the monarch over everything and nothing will ever go wrong with our political processes. But here in a world of sin, it's interesting to have stories that try to figure this out, uh, you know, project how humans behave, trying to figure out what the rules are uh, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, as well as uh, maybe a galaxy closer to home as in the Star Trek world. Uh, Lacey and I have been marathoning uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, which is uh, probably yes. one of the most political, not political issues, but, you know, the business of politics, Star Trek shows. But even uh, we actually, uh, Becky, uh, I think this is the first time I've done this. Uh, I figured out when they started running Voyager season one in the middle of DS9 season three, I think in 1995. And so we're kind of, you know, replaying that episode order. I've, I've seen the series before, but Lacey hasn't. So it's fun to watch it with a newcomer, even though she's been a Trek fan for a while. But even the Voyager season premiere, you've got this issue of a captain, Captain Catherine Janeway, who runs her ship with purpose. And just those issues that y'all were talking about of a crew that has to learn to work together uh, in a quadrant far, far away, trying to get home over 75 years. And all these issues that come up, but everybody just having to be like-minded and working together. Oh, by I mentioned, Becky, I wanted to ask if you watched uh, Picard season three. I've rhapsodized about that enough, but I was curious about your take on it. If you saw <laughs> I have it. not. I would like to. I, oh, okay. I didn't. I was hesitant to start the first season because I heard that it kind of took a darker turn than, correct. you know, kind of the classic Star Trek. And yes. that's kind of been my complaint with a lot of the more recent ones is that they've gotten Same. away from that hopeful optimistic view of the future and so but now i've heard such great things about the third season that i'm like well maybe it's worth watching all you of just them. skip season, straight to it just okay. skip straight to it exactly yeah there, there's like a few continuity things you've got to know like picard's a robot that because reasons that was part of the darker turn and the transhumanism and we went over that enough in our previous podcast episode but yeah skip straight to season three you can also i think you'd also watch strange new worlds actually strange new worlds yeah i've heard great good. that that's next up on our list probably yeah, yeah. So. oh it's free on youtube now by the way so Ooh, that's a good. that's a free pitch for strange new worlds i know i'll be one. spending my weekend thank you <laughs> yes yeah oh it's a good it's a good one uh, captain pike is good uh, but anyway i mean we're here to talk about christian made stories including yours so i'm curious how Shades of Starlight uh, is is unique. Then you mentioned the political entanglements, uh, but you've got to, you've got a heroine on a spaceship. Like, uh, w- what is the pitch of your story, uh, and how does that build on the stories that you've loved, but also uh, go in a different uh, trajectory? Yeah, so my book it's a four book series, and each book has two new main characters, but they still all of the previous characters appear throughout. So if you like the first ones, they do come back. Um, and the first book is about a smuggler and a spy. And they're on opposing sides of a brewing revolution, and they have to work together to track a rogue agent that has information that could expose them both, but also start a galactic war. And so it was 
it's kind of, it plays on one of the tropes that is one of my favorites, which you guys have kind of been touching on is the sort of that found family, that idea of people from very different backgrounds and belief systems and experiences ending up coming together kind of for a common purpose. And so my smuggler is a benevolent one. So she actually has seen in her shipping business, the problems in the colony worlds um, where people can't get needed goods. And so she's decided to use her smuggling business or her shipping business to smuggle things that they need. And then the spy has grown up on one of the central planets. There's three empires with all with lots of colonies and he's never really seen the colonies. And so for him, it sort of opens his eyes to the first time what it's really like outside of the central planets. And so for both of them in the first book, it's really sort of coming to question their worldviews and what role governments play, what it's like in different places that you've never seen before and having to question that. And then they meet, obviously, because I like the adventure space pirates and hackers and all that good stuff throughout. And so some of the future characters are, are some of those, all of them from, I tried to hit on as many possible backgrounds as possible. So there's the three empires, there's lots of colonies, there's a group like the smuggler that are just trying to help. And then there's the group that's actively trying to start war. And so there's people representing all, all of those sides, the neutral parties, like the pirates, the empires, the colony leaders, um, even a saboteur for the the revolutionary group um, who's basically a terrorist and why she sort of turned to that and how she begins to question whether hate and destruction is the best path forward or whether there might be a better path um, toward a better future. So sort of, it was really fun to write all of them together coming up with, like you said, the politics, but not the the party politics of America, but the politics of just where you grew up and mm-hmm. what resources you had or didn't have or what the worldview was of where you grew up versus now you're confronted with working alongside people that have a vastly different worldview than you and a vastly different experience and past. And yet being able to come together um, and recognizing a common purpose. And isn't that really the body of Christ after all? Not only like Zach said with the body parts, but that you look around on you know, a Sunday morning, depending on what church you go to, and you see people from other countries, you see people from other socioeconomic backgrounds, you see that we're all one now in Christ, working toward a common purpose who would never have had anything in common before. And so I think that that's why I love the found family trope is people that look like a very unlikely crew, but can come together and really love each other and support each other and find that connection that they need toward a, toward a goal. One of the hugest themes of the Bible is enemies to friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. we were enemies of God and we are now, Jesus calls us his friends and we are enemies with one another. And, you know, not just the differences within a society, but entirely different societies. I mean, the thing that Paul talks about so much in Ephesians is the Jews and the Gentiles are now part of one body. And boy, that got a lot of people upset. This whole idea of alliances, I see that what you're describing in your book, yeah, that's a huge theme in the expanse, you know, where in the expanse, you've basically got these three different societies, the uh, the people from Earth, the people from Mars, and then everyone that lives in the asteroid belt, the belters. Belters. Yep. So you've got these three entirely different societies, you know, the the Earth society is kind of the, the legacy. Uh, we take everything for granted. Everyone uh, gets universal basic income because there's so much money to go around. You don't even have to work. To get money. And then there's the Martians that are just from the day they're born, they're working on this multi generation plan of terraforming the planet. And then there's the Belters who are like, they're the underclass. That's what really hooked me on that series was like, wait, there's poor people in space or like there's oppressed people that live on spaceships. Like I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like you don't think of astronauts that way. You, you our astronauts are like the cream of the crop in, in every which way, but it's just weird to think of like astronauts that are this 
the the undesirables basically of of this you know uh, intraplanet uh, society. But the cool thing about the expanse is the team that's at the center of it that's on this ship, the Rosinante. I'm saying that right. You've got uh, an Earth guy, a Martian, a Belter, um, and then there's lots of other people that kind of come in, and so it's this very it's this group of people that should hate each other and that should be at war with one another, but they are the ones that often bring peace. And I, again, I think that's a great picture um, of the body of Christ. You know, I think denominations are a good thing. I belong to a denomination. I, you guys all do too. But what's really fun is the experiences I've had where I've worked on these big projects that kind of span different denominations or where I I've just gone to these like worship meetings. Like when I was in college, there was a really big worship meeting on our campus that had thousands of people. Now we're not all from the same church. You know, there might even be Catholics there and Protestants together. And there there can be really wonderful opportunities for the body of Christ to have those moments of just this really big unity. Uh, In my day job, I've done some big cross-denominational projects, I'll just say. And you know, I, I work with people that were so different and we, we have really even different approaches to even doing the same thing, but getting to, to work on something like that, it just really broadens your view for, again, how big God is that like, I, I tend to get very narrow-minded sometimes in how I think God is, but these just blow me away. So I love the idea of Christians needing to work together in a local church, just like the crew of a spaceship needs to learn to work together in outer space. That's just a really resonant theme to me. I think I ought to do something about that. Yeah, we'll talk in a moment about how these stories help us engage real world challenges. One of those challenges, though, is now the recently announced Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge 2023, which is our third sponsor. Literally, as we were recording, we just released this news. Laura McCary, our marketing manager, has been putting this together for the last few weeks, and now it's announced we're actually going to officially start that on Thursday with our book review list for fans and Christian families to do something a little different this summer, especially if they have kids who need to be reading great stories. Well, Lorehaven is in the business of finding these great stories. Now we've put them all together on the site in a way that you can access. You'll find all kinds of different reading programs out there, but this is the only one for Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. There are three ways you can take up this challenge. First of all, no matter where you are, fill your summer with fantastical stories for God's glory. You can pick books from our review list and read them this summer. Pick as many as you think you can read. Tag us on social media. Don't forget to tell us what you're reading. You can also comment on our website, lorehaven.com. Second, join the Lorehaven Guild. It's our exclusive Discord community. We embark on new book quests every month. These are curated titles all by Christian authors, fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond. We have great books lined up this summer, and reading is better together. Uh, By the way, just this week, we started our next book quest for Frank Peretti's apparently last book called Illusion. Really good one. I'm leading that myself. Third, use your creativity to support your favorite stories and authors, including B.L. Dean. Create fan art for any of the books Lorehaven has reviewed. You can then submit your art in the guild for a chance to be featured on our social media. And parents, if you've got creative kids who've read a great uh, Christian-made story, uh, you can scan or take a photo of that art and share it with us. We would love to share that with our readers and uh, build naturally this community of uh, very diverse Christian voices, but all allied in our desire to glorify Jesus Christ uh, and reflect his creativity in the stories that we share one with another 
Get more details at lorehaven.com. So space adventure stories can be fun. Uh, we enjoy them. They're entertaining. And yet also I have found that just watching a crew on a starship work together like a local church needs to work together has helped me pursue the same virtues on Earth. So Becky, I'm curious, like as you are watching a TV starship crew work together or writing uh, a story about these characters coming together, like how has that helped you in your relationships with other people uh, on, in the real world? Oh, gosh, yeah. So actually think about, so two of the characters that I mentioned, the spy and the space pirate are my favorites to write together in scenes, um, just because they're the total opposites, and but yet they end up on the same side. And so they're super fun to write together because they don't get along and they don't agree with each other's worldview really at all, except now they're working together. And so I think about that a lot in local churches, right? We don't have to necessarily like all of the fellow believers, but we're still working together toward a common purpose of making Christ known and bringing God glory and all that we do. And so um, that's sort of a good reminder that I think it's easy in the church to forget that we really are one body working toward one goal. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up in our own lives and what we're doing and forget that really our purpose as individual believers and as a body of Christ is to declare his glory among the nations, to disciple people, to bring them to faith. And so um, we're not asked to do that alone. We're asked to do that with you know the crew of other believers. And so whether we agree or necessarily get along all the time is really not important. Um, what's more important is that mission that we've been given for working with others. Yeah. You know, I was in a job, man, back in like 2010, 2011. And the funny thing was I had this coworker that was not the opposite for me, like the smuggler and spy in your story, but she was exactly like me. <laughs> Those can <laughs> be the worst sometimes, man. <laughs> right. And, you know, and she was uh, even from, a, you know, she was obviously a woman and from a very different culture, but we were the exact same personality. And so as we worked on projects together, I'm like, oh, she's doing that thing that just drives me crazy. Wait, that's the same thing I do. (laughs) And so like, that's the other funny thing that can happen is that you work with these people that you really see this mirror image of yourself and it can hopefully make you a little self-aware. And the great thing about that team that I was on at the time is we we did, you know, the Myers-Briggs and those kind of things to help you see how you operate and, and how you interact with others. And so, you know, this was all part of the process of like kind of refining uh, the, the ways that we work and the ways that we work together. You know, a big thing that I find in science fiction is uh, a big word I want to focus on here is the word escape. You know, people say, why read science fiction? Why watch these kinds of things? Aren't you just escaping from the real world? Uh, to which I would say, yes, on purpose, I am escaping because Sometimes the real world is really a prison. Like what we think of is the real world. We get so locked into the daily outrage on social media. We get locked into just mundane things that, uh, you know, I, I don't love Fight Club, but the, the beginning of it where he's just obsessing over, I think it's like a J. Crew catalog or Ikea or something where he's just, all he's doing with all his time is thinking of the next shirt he's going to buy or the next cabinet he's going to buy. And like, man, that is just such dead end thinking that you're just so focused on the material to the exclusion of everything else. Like we've talked a lot on this show about not getting so spiritual that you you lose track of the material world, but it can go the other way too. You can become so much of a materialist that you neglect the spiritual life. And so sometimes you need to escape things like that and you need to escape to stories that have bravery in them or a clear view of good and evil, or like Becky, you mentioned, uh, the original Star Trek Next Generation being very hopeful. 
uh, because we can really get weighed down in this world by uh, very dreary kind of things that are going on. You know, we've used this term before, like getting black pilled, <laughs> like taking, uh, just taking that worldview of just nihilism on because that's so contagious. And then just, uh, you know, our, our world tries to blur all the lines between things, between right and wrong. So many of the stories that we engage with in science fiction, they break through all that because you think about if you're on a spaceship and there's a leak somewhere, you can't just ignore that, right? Like you can't just like, yeah, okay, well, someone else will fix that. Like they have to take responsibility right then to patch that hole or they all die. So, you know, just that responsibility, that, uh, that attitude of tackling problems, working together, you know, that those are the kinds of things I try to take back when I return to this world that like, I want to be like the people in that story. Like I want to be that brave. I want to work that hard. I want to be that hopeful Uh, because you know, you, you don't really see characters in star Trek that feel uh, sorry for themselves. Like, like they don't get, they don't throw pity parties when things don't go right. I mean, maybe they do in a moment. Uh, Maybe they get kind of like, you know, emotional or whatever, but then they always, solve the problem. And so I I love those kind of things because it would be really easy to give up on a lot of things in this world, but, but to have the attitude of like, not only will I not give up, I will fight even harder. I I think that's a huge lesson that we can take from these stories because they have nowhere else to go. (laughs) If you're on a spaceship, they have to fight through it. I love how you transitioned from escapism to actual real life lessons, because I'm a big fan of all sorts of stories. But in my writing, I try to, I veer more toward escapism, probably. Um, I was a big fan, especially in the early years of the the DC shows on the CW, you know, the Arrowverse and looking at Arrow versus the Flash when the Flash came out. And it was really kind of eye-opening to see those side by side and think, oh, my writing is the Flash, not the Arrow. And that's fine. It's the colorful. And actually, probably now that they had added Stargirl, more Stargirl, um, which was a fantastic show and sadly ended. But you need both kinds of stories. And so mine kind of veered more toward the colorful and the hopeful and the friends and the the fun and the lighthearted. Still with those moments, though, where you can offer someone an escape and you can escape into stories. And that's one of the things I love about whether it's movies, books or television, just that when you need that break from the real world, here's these shiny new planets. Let's jump on a spaceship. Let's go visit new places or new worlds or go on a quest. But there's still that underlying while my stories do veer more into escapism, I never want them to only be escapism. Even if it's something subtle, I still want there to be something that readers can come away with, whether it's that heroism, what it takes to be a hero, what you're willing to sacrifice for what's right, how you even figure out what's right. And then once you do what you're willing to do about that, how you decided on your worldview and when it's worth fighting for versus when it's worth changing your mind, things like that. And so I think that stories can offer that escapism, can take you to fun new places. But I hope that at least in my stories and in the things that I read or watch, that there's still, like you mentioned, that element of something more as well. At the back of this discussion is the quote from J.R.R. Tolkien questioning the definition of escapism. It's not always so much that you're trying to escape uh, fixing your car or doing the dishes or the laundry, uh, but trying to escape an unjust imprisonment uh, in a world that obscures certain truths and obscures certain beauties, whether it's by sin or bureaucracy or distraction or what. Uh, the purpose of escaping to a fantastic story is to then re-engage the real world, uh, having discovered more of it by looking at it from the outside. Uh, that was Tolkien. Uh, another John, John Piper, talks frequently about good authors like C.S. Lewis, 
likening the world to what it is not in order to reveal more of what it is. So very long-time Christian tradition in there and certainly uh, at the foundation of Lorehaven. Uh, Becky, I'm curious whether it's escapist or not. Uh, what's uh, next for you? You've got your next book then coming out just next week. Uh, final break, the final volume of the Shades of Starlight series. Uh, but you sound uh, downright prolific to me. I, <laughs> I can certainly not imagine you stopping there. Uh, what's next as you head further among the stars? Yeah, it's actually been, this has been a crazy year because um, my four book science fiction series released. And then I also released my second of my young adult contemporary novels. And so next on the publication docket, I have two more young adult contemporary novels contracted. So one for next year, and one for 2025. I also have a couple other science fiction stories that are completed that my agent pulled from submission when we got the contract for the four book series and I had to finish writing that. And so we're hoping those are both near future, set more Earth and space station around Earth sort of things. And so hoping maybe one of those gets a taker, one of them I would like to turn into a series and kind of toying with some Shades of Starlight spinoff ideas, too, because I liked the galaxy that I created. So. so Shades of Starlight is more galaxy far, far away. And this other yeah. series is more galaxy close to home. I, I like yeah. both kinds of stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, different escape velocities there. Well, that sounds really exciting. Do you have any titles or release uh, date frames to announce or do we need to keep that close to the vest for now? Yeah. Just summer for, I don't know if you want to pronounce to, to do my contemporary ones or not, but they're summer 2024 and 2025. Gotcha. So no spaceships uh, in the contemporary romance, but that's okay. We need that too. We need all these stories. <laughs> One of the best, uh, comments that I got from a reader actually on my last one was how much they enjoyed the random Lord of the Rings references in my young adult contemporary <laughs> book. And I was like, yeah, someone caught them. <laughs> now, there you go. That's it makes it honorary fantastical fiction. We will occasionally slip and talk about romance as well as uh, biblical fiction and other cousin genres on the fantastical truth show. Uh, no shade thrown whatsoever. Shades of starlight or otherwise. Uh, these all can be stories and genres that glorify our creator, Jesus Christ and help us escape the gravities of the real world uh, so that we can then go back to it. So, uh, Becky, uh, with that, I guess we can send you back out there uh, with, the, uh, with the stolen Klingon ship or otherwise. Taking really two, two humpback it. whales with me. Yes, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Uh, definitely <laughs> save the whales. That's, uh, that's always a good cause. So we, we appreciate uh, you fighting in good cause aboard the Starship Lorehaven, at least for now. And we'll look forward to seeing uh, where your orbital trajectory goes from here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us, Becky. Well, great discussion with Becky. I totally related to what she said about loving maps. Even though, you know, we've all got iPhones and Siri and everything, I still love a good map. I actually bought a large size version of the Rand McNally Road Atlas and stuck it in my car when we go on road trips because, hey, maybe our cell phone doesn't work, but I also just love an excuse to have a big map. Uh, one of my life goals is to decorate one wall in our house like uh, some really close friends of ours, Ernie and Jody, who have an entire wall covered in one of those ancient style maps. Um, that that would just be amazing. And another thing Becky said I didn't get to comment on was the fact that she grew up uh, with the Challenger disaster. And I, I did too, uh, you know, same kind of generation. And, you know, what I wondered was, does she remember watching it in school? Because this is one of those, yes, Mandela effect things that a lot of us remember watching it in school when we probably didn't. We probably just watched it after we came home from school. Either way, I remember it happening. So it's one of those light Mandela effect things. But uh, Stephen, man, I, I just as we were talking here, I just put a whole bunch of new things on my watch list. I need to get the Picard season three going and the strange new worlds. You know, I need to just get Paramount Plus, don't I? Because not, none of this is on Netflix anymore. 
I don't want to get Hulu or whatever else. I, I just want to get the Star Trek shows. So maybe that's the best way. So our fourth sponsor for this episode is apparently <laughs> Paramount Plus, as well as uh, Star Wars and some other shows. Hey, if we're fans, we can't help but talk about it. Yeah, I never saw the Challenger explode in school because I was homeschooled, by the way. So no Mandela effect here. Hey, speaking of uh, missions in space and such, I have a quick mission update from lorehaven.com. Uh, some of this I've already mentioned. We've started our new book quest in the Lorehaven Guild for Illusion by Frank Peretti. Kind of a supernatural sci-fi and contemporary romance. So if anybody wants to think that Becky can't create both of them uh, under a nom de plume and such, uh, well, Frank Peretti did it uh, and the book was amazing. So go check that out. We've just got that started in the Lorehaven Guild. Free to subscribe at lorehaven.com. Our last review, uh, we actually kind of skipped one because I was out of town the last Friday, but before that, we reviewed a middle-grade fantasy called The Dog Snatcher. And meanwhile, they've got that Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge I've already mentioned. Just go look for updates there at the website. Uh, also, blimey, uh, it's like one and a half months away, Zach, from the, uh, the Realm Makers Writers Conference in St. Louis. I think we've still got the promo there at our website. Uh, it's not too late to register. Just another free plug there along with Paramount Plus. So sign up for a streaming service, and but definitely go to the <laughs> Realm Makers Conference. Uh, we've met uh, Becky Dean there, lots of other fantastical creators. Got some good stuff to share about that coming up. And then, of course, subscribe free at Lorehaven to get updates about the site uh, and join that Lorehaven Guild community on Discord. Well, for our comm station, we would love for you, our listener, to write us a note and tell us not only what is your favorite science fiction book, movie, or TV show, but who is your favorite character? If you could switch places with them, who would you want to be in one of these stories? So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on social media. We're on Facegram, Facegram, Instabook. Tick, nice tickgram i'm like such a some kind of future app I'm, synthesis I'm like a, i like it boomer dad or something here anyway facebook instagram and twitter just look for lorehaven next on fantastical truth summer brings the heat especially among the very online not long ago lots of people were yelling at the biblical fiction series the chosen because one of their crew was caught flying a heathen flag on set caught in 4k or at least at least 1080p and the behind-the-scenes video showed him for what he was. And then two of the disciple actors on Twitter got bothered and started calling the fans phobes and things like that. So it all got very, very busy. And then one culturally conservative website ran an article about the debate. And then that company CEO called the article disgusting. And so lots of people were yelling about or against him and not at all behaving like a cohesive Starship crew. Behind all this yelling is, however, one big concern. Christians are indeed, big scandal, hiring non-Christians to help make stories and websites and businesses and things. Is this allowed? Does the Bible require Christians to create culture only by working with other Christians? Zach and I are going to take that up in our next episode. Meanwhile, whether you are yelling or not, whether you are a member of a starship crew or a captain or a smuggler or a member of the rebellion, you have got to learn to work with other people one way or another. Uh, you're in outer space sometimes, and it's the only way that you can get home or fight an evil government. These are issues we need to wrestle together, and science fiction helps us sort through these just by going through the simulation in our imaginations. That's one reason why these stories are amazing. They also help us worship the God who created the stars and gave us the ability to create these amazing stories. 
which we're going to keep on exploring at Lorehaven as we continue seeking and finding his fantastical truth.